0: It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories.
1: Welcome, everybody, to The Kingdom and Its Stories. We're delighted to be here with you today. And, um, you know, we're broadcasting at 530 on Monday afternoon. And uh, we also uh, have a webcast uh, on, on the Internet. You can find those directions at the harvestfoundation.org site, and we also are recording a, a, a video uh, of this interview, and that can also be found on the Harvest Foundation website. My guest today is, is a, well, how do I describe how I first knew him? He was a little boy in the church that Judy and I attended in Phoenix, Arizona, when we lived there, and I uh, watched Zach grow up and um, and now um, have watched with delight as God has directed him to an, an unreached tribe in Pap- Papua New Guinea. And um, his name is Zach Can. And Zach, we're delighted to have you. I'm especially delighted to have you with us this morning. So welcome. Thanks, Bob. It is really good to be here. Yeah, well, it's it's really great to have you here too. It, and it, you look a little different than when you and I went to Africa. Um, how many years ago was that? Well, 1998. So, yeah, 20, you were you were now. 12 years old, I think. And yeah. uh,
2: I was probably and, this tall, but a little yes, skinnier, maybe.
1: Yeah, much skinnier. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: less gray hair.
1: Yeah, right. I don't see any gray hair. But, uh, it's,
2: uh, it's coming. I mean I don't have you beat yet, yeah, but
1: I'll get yeah. there. Well Zach, you are one of the few people in in our world who got us called with your family to go to an unreached group. And you've been there now seven years. That's right. And um people who didn't know anything about the gospel, and uh, <clears throat> in the jungle um, of Papua New Guinea, and uh, how how in the world, with all the opportunities that you had growing up in the United States, did God get a hold of you and and lead you to to go to this? um, distant, isolated place that you can't even get to by road. You can only get there by hiking over the mountains or by helicopter. So tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Well, I love the it's way the you elevator asked
1: Elevator story.
2: Yeah. I love the way you asked the question. Cause you said, how did God lead you? And it really is his work right in my life. Um, the Lord <laughs> had me in a Christian home and, uh, just saved me by his grace through his son Uh, his death and resurrection. And just that he would take my place and take the punishment for me so that I can be free and live with him forever. That's just great news. And it took a while. I mean, I I grew up hearing it, but it took a while to believe it uh, for my just heart to be softened and my ears to be opened. And then once I knew that good news, uh, just that desire to want to share that good news with others, Uh, Became very strong, and the Lord used other people. I mean, my parents introduced me to the world of missions as I was growing up. We would read biographies, and I got to read all kinds of stories of people who gave up everything to bring the good news of Jesus to distant shores. And then in 1998, you took me to Africa, and that was my first experience of actually leaving my shores and going over somewhere else. Right. And seeing that there's a whole world out there, and how to navigate it, and seeing what the different needs are, and then uh, the Lord eventually led me to our uh, the church that I'm at now, Grace Bible Church in Tempe, and there the the pastors there just showed me more about what it means to uh, read God's word, follow God's word, what the church is, um, how to raise up pastors. Um, The need to be sent out rather than just being a self-sent young man who's just passionate and wants to go wherever, but what it really means to be sent and uh, all that led to uh, eventually I met my wife, Cassidy, who was interested in Papua New Guinea. I had never heard of it before meeting her (laughs) and uh, realized, wow, there's whole tribal groups uh, who speak languages that nobody knows. They're not written down. They have no witness in their language and – Cass and I got to the point where we're like, well, we're willing to go, and Mm. we spoke with our pastors, and a team was formed, and yeah, we were sent out in 2014, and uh, been there just over seven years.
1: So, you know, okay, you've been there seven years, and let's look at a spectrum of one to ten, meaning ten has, you've reached the goal that you and Cassidy set out when you left for Pump. Papua New Guinea. Uh, you've been there seven years. Where would you say on that timeline of one to 10 you are in terms of reaching the goals that you guys had in mind when you left? I would say we're
2: about a five or six.
1: Okay. And so what did you have to do during uh, from from zero to six yeah. in order to get where you are? What are some of the things that, that you've spent your time doing? For
2: the last seven years, I mean, we had to move, obviously, to Papua New Guinea. Once we were there, uh, we learned the trade language, Melanesian Pigeon, and that took about six months to learn. It's got a lot of English words in it, so it's a a pretty, if you're going to learn a trade language, that's the way to do it. I mean, it's an easy one to learn. And then we went into the mountains, uh, my coworker and I, and we walked around mountain villages just saying, here's what we've come to do. Does anyone want to invite us to come in. And we got about mm-hmm. five invitations from five different language groups. We ended up picking one, the Doe language. And then we had to move in. We built houses because uh, our goal is to live with them because we want to know not only their language, but we want to know them as people, how they live, uh, how they eat, how they talk to one another, what they do right. day in and day out. Right. So we yeah have been living with them, learning their language. That took me just learning from them took me about three to four years, uh, just every day out in the village, learning words, learning how to communicate, and also learning them as people, how they view the world and right. everything around them. And okay, then,
1: so, okay, go ahead.
2: Yeah, so uh, just to finish it off, in uh, in 2020, uh, when, when the world was rocking with COVID, we were getting ready to... Uh, do a chronological Bible teaching. So I translated about, I think about 3,000 verses of the Bible, uh, various portions from cover to cover, and just taught them starting in November of 2020, just taught them for three months straight, the chronological story of the world from the Bible and gave them a biblical worldview. And uh, yeah. And then we've had a, a few people believe it wasn't uh, the whole village didn't respond and repent and rejoice. We we had a very hesitant response to uh, the gospel message, but there are a few who have believed, and we've started now the discipling process for those who want to hear more.
1: Okay, well, that word discipleship leads me to a question, and that question is, okay, when you get to 10 on that timeline, what's the... You know, from your perspective, what's the ultimate way you would express what the bottom line is? What are you trying to achieve uh, in what might be 10 less or more years?
2: Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, ultimately,
2: the goal is the glory of God, right? We want Him honored and Him extolled. And then uh, what serves that? I mean, the Lord can do as He pleases. I don't save people. I'm a witness, and the Lord saves people if he pleases. I, uh, My prayer is that the Lord would save many in our village, and it's just a natural process. After they hear that Jesus has saved them, that he is their hope, there's this immediate, at least for those in our village who are saved, What do I, what do I do now? How do I live now? What about my marriage? What about parenting? What about... Uh, how I'm supposed to deal with my enemies, uh, of which they have many in these mountains. Um, and thankfully, I'm like, the Bible speaks to all that. So the, the end goal for me would be uh, them having God's word in their language, an ability to read it, um, a, an ability to, uh, or, or a desire to want to follow God's commands. Because that's what they're going to see when they start to read it, is God is commanding them now. Uh, to love one another, to die to themselves, to seek first the kingdom, uh, to um, put away sin, to put on righteousness. There's going to be lots of uh, commands that they're going to see that they're going to be like, oh, this is right. this is the direction yeah, Jack, on how to live.
1: Really interesting because, you know, this program is about how do people express Jesus in their lifestyles? How do they express love? Hmm. One to another, and I think in what I heard you just say, that's that's a big part of the end objective is to help them obey what the Lord tells us in His Word, which is to love one another. And um, but when I was talking to you earlier, you told me something very interesting, and that was that um, these people that you have committed your life to don't even have a word for love in their language. So how do you, how how do you help them to understand what it even means to love? And do the, if they don't have a word in their language for that, do they understand it? And how will you help them? Do you think to understand that concept? Yeah. Well, we have
2: a word for it in English, and I wonder how many people actually know what love means in English, too. So,
1: Good response. Um, yeah,
2: there, there is no word in the Doe language. They don't really have words for abstract nouns. So anything that's concrete, they, they tell stories with the best of them. But when they want to talk about love or peace or joy, those words just don't exist. But, uh, but the concept does, and stories communicate, and so the Bible's full of them. Uh, the the most glorious of which is the story of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who left heaven, humbled himself, became a human being, and took our place on the cross. Like that is just the greatest demonstration of love. And the Bible, uh, the New Testament specifically points back again and again to laying down your life, your interests, your desires, your preferences, and loving others, um, loving your family, loving your neighbors, loving those out in your community, loving uh, uh, especially those in the church. Uh, There's just lots of pointing back to that. So we're able to take those passages then and uh, I think for the word love specifically, we've done it a number of ways. We've taken a a Melanesian pigeon word and used that. Uh, Any word we choose has to be defined and it has to be defined through story to show them this is what it means. When the Bible says love, it doesn't mean whatever you think love means. Um, Love is patient and it's kind and it, and it suffers long. And, and we're able to go through, what does that mean to suffer long with someone, to be patient with someone, to listen, to be gentle? Um,
1: Well, if they don't, if, if they don't have words that are not related to concrete issues, then, how how do you, in story form, help them to understand that idea, that concept?
2: Yeah, well, we're able to um, talk, uh, starting with the scriptures, we're able to show them, look at how uh, Jesus loved. And then from that, we can uh, go to passages like 1 Corinthians 13 and say, look at how the Bible defines love. And then there are just we're able to point to our own lives too and say look at how i love my wife and and the people in our village are really quick to be like well you're different you're the missionary in the same way that in america people can say well you're a pastor it's your job to be kind um but really it's just the command of god i'm like, i'm just, and i tell them all the time i i know i'm different i know i look different i have a different language i have a horrible accent in your language Uh, But I'm the same as you, same needs. I need the scriptures to help me learn how to love my kids, to be patient with them, to love my wife, to love you, to know when to give to you, to be kind, to care for you when you're sick, uh, to know when to say no to you when you're coming to my door asking me for solar panels and all kinds of other things. It just takes a lot of wisdom and patience and forbearing. And so I get to point back to that, too, and say, look, this is... This love comes from the Lord uh, and from His Holy Spirit. Like this is just—it's right. impossible. And their their concept of love is: I give you something, you give me something. And the more we're giving each other things, uh, the the more we love one another. And so when I tell them God loves them, uh, however I communicate that, their their first response is: I have to do something for God. I'll scratch His back, and then He'll scratch mine. And I'm like, no, that is not how love is described in the Bible at all. The Bible is unconditional. So how do
1: you get beyond that, Jack?
2: Um, Well, a lot of prayer and (laughs) patience. I mean And patience. Yeah. I I I just love that God's word is true and it doesn't change. And I, I was reading in Romans chapter 10 where it says you're you're called to be a witness. This is like that famous sending out missionaries passage. How are they going to hear unless you send a preacher to them, send, right. you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The very next line is, but not all have listened. Like I can't make them listen and understand my right. stories, my preaching, my example. Some people are going to love it and are drawn to it. Some people are going to hate it. And I, I experience both. My job is to be faithful with the days that I have the breaths that I have, the example that I have to just, Honor the Lord in how I love my neighbor, right. read my Bible, and preach clearly to them.
1: So, would you say then that that how you live in your family um, is um, is really helping them to define and to understand the love that the Bible talks about?
2: I think so. Yeah, and and I think what probably will happen is there will be a few people who are really close to us in the village who see our example and will hear our teaching and hopefully the Lord will use that to work in their own hearts because I think if the Lord would save a people in our language group and grow them in their love for God and their love for one another, them being that beacon of love to their neighbors is going to shine even brighter because they're going to be like, those are... Like, Zach, he's different. This is my, you know, my uncle, my cousin, and he's different now. Um, I'm really hoping and praying that the Lord will use that, will save others, cause them to grow in how they love. And that will shine, I think, all the brighter.
1: Right. Yeah. We'll, we We need to pray for you in that way, Zach. Um, yeah, please do but as uh, I want to take this opportunity in the program to say that you're listening to the kingdom and its stories and we have weekly interviews with people who help us to understand what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, um, and Zach, I, um, I, I think, you know, that you and Casey and the kids, you know, as you give your lives um, in Papua New Guinea, in this unreached tribal group, formerly before you got there, um, it, it is you know from my perspective a real demonstration of what it means to be Jesus' hands and feet. Now we can we can understand that that requires a great deal of sacrifice um, from our perspective, but I'm wondering, you know, when you sort of come down from a helicopter in the sky <laughs> and land in a, in a very primitive village like that, um, do they? Do, do the people that you're ministering to, do they see that as sacrifice or do they see you as like somebody from a different world um, and that uh, you understand what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. No, I understand how the do, question. They, how do they perceive you? It's a complicated question and it's got a complicated answer. I mean, they... They see me, yeah, a lot of people can't understand why we're there. They think there must be some benefit that Zach's getting. Um, Maybe the government's paying him. Uh, Some people think that I'm actually an ancestor returned to them, and I have all the secrets of the afterlife, and that's why I'm well off (laughs) compared to them. You know, I've got a helicopter. Uh, They view the helicopter as a very, uh, well, some of them, a very spiritual thing rather than a... What, what it is. It's just a very physical, mechanical object. Um, right. But yeah, there's, they, they don't see all the sacrifices. And um, some of the, I, the people who know us the best, uh, what, what's been really sweet is having a family visit. We've had my dad come out, my mom, uh, a couple of my sisters, Cass's mom uh, and aunt came out. So when, that makes us more real. And and Cass just had a baby um, about a month ago, and so we're going to go back to the village in about six months with little baby Annie, and, and those things just make us more real, more human. They just see, oh, you have a dad, you have an aunt, you have a, a daughter, and she's a baby, and she nurses just like our kids do. You know, they see this realness, and I think that's going to help them understand, oh – I think some villagers already do understand you've left all of them to come to us, and there is a sacrifice there uh, okay to, though they still see our our immense privilege
1: right I would think that would be um, a real different difficult thing to separate the solar panels that you might give to them you know um from you not being you know this um otherworldly person who has Access to resources that they don't have. Yeah, Zach, um, how how about you and Cassidy? You know, now you're in the states, and um, and you're um, and you're you're not, you know, able to demonstrate God's love in the way that you do in the tribe. How what are some of the things that that you and your family do? Uh, Which could be an illustration for those who are listening of how we could be Jesus' hands and feet.
2: Yeah, well, um, we do a lot of the the same things here that we do in the village. uh, Okay. In that uh, we spend uh, time working on our marriage, just trying to listen to one another. Uh, You have to do that, too. We have to do that, too. Yeah. In the village and here. Um, And in America, it's actually harder because like in the village, there's no roads. You know, we're in the middle of nowhere. We barely have Internet. Um, So there's very there's way fewer distractions than there are here. Here we actually have to make time. And like any couple, it takes time to listen to one another and hear um, how one another are doing and what expectations we have of each each day. And, right. uh, and then from there, we, it takes time for us to parent. We have to be on the same page. What are we teaching our kids? How are we going to teach them? Encouraging one another to be patient, especially with, you know, now with the new baby. We're tired. The temptation to be impatient and not listen to our kids or be short with them. It's, uh, uh, we just have to be on guard against that, to, to love them. And then as we love, we're loving each other and loving our kids. That becomes, uh, an example, even in our, you know, we're in a neighborhood now in Tempe, Arizona, and we have neighbors and it, it's so funny how neighbors in America are just like neighbors in Papua New Guinea. Like we have neighbors that are easy to get along with that just love us and want to come over. And it's so easy to talk to them. And we have neighbors that are not that way. And are <laughs> oh, just, <you> do, yeah. <laughs> You know, in in Papua New Guinea, we we have one guy who lives in a hut not too far from ours, and he just does not um, understand why we're there. And uh, right. and the, here we have neighbors who just prove to be really ornery. <laughs> so it's opportunity to to just love them.
1: Right, right. Okay, good. Zach, as we close out our interview today. Um, If you had 30 seconds to tell those who are listening, give them some, you know, some encouragement of how to be Jesus' hands and feet, what would you say?
2: The first thing I would say is read the word, read the word and see what examples are there and then obey them. Go out and see what it's like to just put yourself in someone else's shoes, see what needs they might have
1: and and and
2: love them in that regard.
1: Amen. Read the word and do it. And do it. And what doing it means is loving others. That's right. Zach, Ken, we're so delighted to have you with us today. And may the Lord bless you. And for those who are listening who can pray for Zach, um, uh, I ask you to do that as he prepares to go back. The Lord bless you. Thanks, Bob.
0: Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.